Billiken fans, I am so excited to welcome you into the 2023 March Madness preview for St. Louis University Women's Basketball on the Midtown Madness podcast. Peter, the ladies are going dancing. It's incredible, Zach. And we've got some really, really good conversations to get everybody hyped for it. A little midweek snack between regular episodes, between games, and uh, and before this Tennessee game, I think we've got some, it's it's a good mix of, you know, some slew people, some Tennessee people, information, uh, vibes, you know, we've got, I, we've got it all. You know, the vibes, I want to talk about vibes, because I got to tell you this, this Julia Martinez conversation, maybe one of my favorite chats we've had. I don't want to get into inner long form interviews, but this is like short form. This is one of my favorite. So much fun. She's special. She's a, like, we all know on the floor that she's such a crucial part of this team's identity and, and, and the run that they've been on and everything like that. But now you get to hear her and, and what she's like off the floor and, uh, and kind of what makes her tick and uh, and she really is a special player. I, I I'm I'm really excited for everybody to hear this, and uh, and just root for her even that much harder on uh, on Saturday at Tennessee. Yeah, I mean, and really just fun to talk to a funny 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 person. Like I just, she, it, I feel like her energy is is infectious. I'm sitting over here smiling, listening to her talk. Uh, but no, I I, I she brought us a, a great travel story peter she did yeah she had a couple of travel stories that were fun but yeah <laughs> i like those i i how can we tease this travel story without giving away too much i i i don't think we should give away anymore just just you just got to let it wash over you it's one of the it, things it, it's as it's probably as weird as like i i want to say it's it's probably tier two after a drunken bus driver <laughs> But it's 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 got to be tier two. It's tier two because that's that's like elite tier. Yeah, it, it is. And then she had another travel story about Chicago. She reminded us a couple of times she was from Chicago, but she her cadence, her her accent, everything like as soon as she started talking, you didn't need to tell me she was from Chicago. I knew right away. I lived there for a few years and she's got that, uh, you know, there's something about the Chicago voice that's like it's Midwestern, but it's not at the same time. It's a little faster. It's a little more aggressive, and she's got that, and uh, she plays with that um, that energy too on the floor. And uh, you can't help but uh, but really like Julia. Uh, Pete, we got to talk to Colin Surrey too, uh, which was of course always fun. Uh, one of our good buddies. Uh, he got some exciting news. He gets to hang out with Jen Ramsey's husband for two hours during a Billiken basketball game. I know, I know, and they get to. Uh, it's going to be an interesting dynamic, right? It's to like hear... us, but way better. <laughs> pros. Yes. People who actually are pro, literal pros at what well, they do. I mean, technically we got paid. Well, <laughs> technically. Um, but uh, it's going to be interesting to hear Rammer, for one, yes. doing color commentary and not play-by-play. And it's also going to be interesting to hear Colin doing play-by-play, but sharing the mic, right? I mean, not, and I'm not, not just, you know, obviously he's done it already with, uh, with you, but. Yes, uh, that's right. He has. He's developed a whole cadence and a style, like, especially doing baseball and softball, where you've got to fill a little bit more time between plays. 
And then when you're doing basketball by yourself, it's still, it's a much different pace than when you're, you're handing it off to somebody else, every, every play. Right. So it's um, it's going to be interesting to see him flex that different skill. Yeah. I just kind of let, when I did it with him, I just kind of let him run. And uh, I just said something kind of that I thought was funny, uh, you know, and uh, talked about spin moves and some actions. I said actions a lot. So I think I did well, uh, mm. but no, uh, super, super fun to talk to him. Uh, what, you know what we're, we're rambling. Let's get into it. We got Colin Surrey first. We've got Julia Martinez second. And finally to talk a little bit about the lady Vols, the under the underdog lady Vols. We've got Nathaniel Rutherford. Uh, he, uh, does a lot of stuff with Tennessee athletics, including, and especially Lady Vols basketball. So we're going to kick it over first to Colin Surrey right now. Billiken fans, uh, welcome back to the show. Uh, one of our best friends and the voice of women's Billiken basketball, Colin Surrey. Colin, what's up, buddy? Hey, not too much. Just enjoying the ride that is Billiken's women's basketball right now. I mean, to think where this team has come from to where they are right now, Truly an inspiring story and, you know, has to be the story around the country, right? These lady Billikens here for St. Louis are just making crazy noise. And, you know, it couldn't happen to a better group of individuals on top of it. Uh, are we are we officially back with lady Billikens? Is that is that back? Well, Cause... you know, I, I I let it slip right there in, <laughs> in my excitement. It, uh, it just came hey, out I that way. I think we're all so. excited. Um it was just announced that you'll be joined on the broadcast Saturday by the husband of women's basketball alum, Jen Ramsey. Uh, that's, that's of course, Bob Ramsey. Uh, he, he mostly known as a, as a house husband, but uh, also does Billiken basketball on the side. How'd that come about? So, you know, I just got that phone call earlier this morning being notified that, that Rammer was going to be on the call with me and, you know, what a thrill that is for me to think, you know, breaking into this business, I was board operating for him back when 101 ESPN carried the call for St. Louis when he was doing it, you know, has been doing it with Earl Austin for so long. So to think, you know, I was on the other end of calling him up and making sure we had everything figured out and talking back with him to now getting to call a game with him while the entire time I was thinking, man, how cool it would be to be in his shoes. Like, how do I do what Rammer has done? How do I get to that point? And then, you know, to have this happen, it just seems like one dream, tr dream come true after another so far this season. So going to soak it all up and, and enjoy that for sure. So I assume, will he be doing the the play-by-play -play and you'll be doing the color commentary or, or how's that going to work? So, I will actually be doing the play-by-play -play, oh. and then he'll provide the color commentary. And I think, you know, I'm excited for that in the standpoint that, you know, obviously he's a play-by-play -play person, but as Zach just mentioned, you know, to be married to a Billikens basketball player, I mean, to, to the conversations that we'll get into about the history of this program what it means for them to be at this point, knowing that every other Billiken that stepped on this campus year in and year out, their goal saying, 
hey, if we could get to the NCAA tournament, if we could just make that NCAA tournament, that would be a program changer. And to think that this team is the one to get that done, it's just a special, special thing. And I think, you know, having Rammer as the color commentary on that is going to provide excellent context in terms of what that means for this university and its history. We talk, or you talk about the history of the program, and I, I, you, I don't know if I actually sent this to you, but uh, you went and followed the link that we tweeted out to and watched the gray seasons. Um, and you were texting me about it. Uh, what was your, uh, as somebody who's who's witnessed this historic season, what was it like to go back and and may, watch something you may have not known at all? It makes you appreciate, right, what this team has done and what they've accomplished and how hard it is to do it. it to think that, you know, this is a program that's been around for about 50 years at this point and to never have made it to this stage, you know, so many different chances, so many great teams that that had great chances to do this and still come up short, you know, just another example of how difficult it is to do it. But the grind that these ladies go through day in and day out and in the human aspect of all of this. And, and that's one of the things that I've praised uh, Rebecca Tillett for the most is having that well-rounded approach to, to her coaching and understanding that the mental space of her players, just as important as their skills. You know, you think about the beginning of the year, it's not as if they had two key players hurt or something like that. And all of a sudden they just got healthy at the right time. This has been a, a really continuous group that has just worked their way to this point. And, you know, to watch them do it in the fashion that they have, you know, and then go back and look at some of those other teams during the gray seasons and, and what those teams had a lot of talent on those teams. You know, you look at a Teresa Lish, if she had stayed for four years, would likely be the all time scorer ahead of ahead of Jackie Kemp even on on that all time list. And, you know, so many different other players. Uh, they were just great during that time. I think three 1,000-point scorers at one point during those gray years. So they had the talent, you know, just unable to put that full season together. And even this Billikens team, a late run to get this done, even just back to 500, winning 11 of their last 12. You predicted last time you were on here, I think it was right before the Fordham game that we talked, um, you, you, you saw the turnaround coming, you, you saw them on this arc and you said they would get to 500. And I think you meant at the time you meant 500 in conference. Yes. Did, did, did you see the possibility of them actually getting to 500 on the, on the full season? Uh, you know, it, it's funny because the assistant, uh, sports information director at, at SLU, Mickey Smith and I had a conversation at one point you know, after they had won like their first three or four in a row after that Fordham game. And I think it was actually right before we got tripped up by Richmond. And he was like, you know, how funny would it be if this team ends up getting back to 500 overall? You know, they'd have to win out to do it. But I mean, how crazy would it be if this team actually did that? And I mean, here we are with them actually having accomplished that. So it, it's just a crazy thing to to say that I that I could see it coming would be just a bold-faced lie I mean there's no way that you just with confidence say yes this team is going to win 11 of 12 but you know they gave reason 
to believe in them the entire time. It's not as if this was this was a listless team that was just fumbling through game after game. They took down Illinois State in the non-conference schedule. They came back against a really good Wichita State at Wichita State team at the time. They put up a great fight on the road against Memphis and and were unable to close that one out. But you saw the signs of it and and when they've put this all together and in the consistency of it is really the most impressive thing in my eyes to be put in so many adverse situations where, you know, it, it's not as if they're winning these games all by 15 points, right? To be put in so many different close games, so many different scenarios where things can go one way or the other. Hey, if you don't win this moment, this game's going to slip through your hands and they just rise to the occasion each and every time. And I think that's what makes this such a fun team. And for fans, I mean, what a great team to be a fan of, you know, some of the characteristics that they show, the heart, the determination, the willpower that this team possesses, you know, they're, they're an easy group to get behind. You know, I this just sitting here, listen, it's just insane that we're here. And, you know, heading into uh, the A-10 tournament, uh, what, like, this team was, this, this team wasn't, I keep saying this, it wasn't a fluke. This, this season wasn't a fluke. There's so much talent on this team. You have two to three really, really good players that came back from Stone's team. And then you add in players that won a conference championship last year. I think that that is the key that gets lost among everyone. I, I mean, what, like this team was whipping the ball around in conference. I don't like what, how? Well, you know, it's interesting what you bring up that, you know, each, each of the different parts of this team had something where they could kind of give to the other part of the team, right? This is something that Brooke Flowers and Kyla McMakin have talked talked about extensively throughout the season in different post-game press conferences that, you know, the the slew people that, that have been on campus for four years, the Julio Martinez is even four plus years, the Brooke Flowers, the different players like that, they knew something that the Longwood players didn't know, what it was like to be at St. Louis and what it was like to compete in the Atlantic 10 and what it was like to go up against the UMasses and the Rhode Islands of the world. And then the Longwood players came over having won a championship and being able to ex- to share that experience with the rest of the group and what they learned on their way to that. And, and so the way that this team has come together and instead of you know, building up those walls, they have, they have worked together and used each other to stand on one another's shoulders in a way that, you know, you can't get this done in the way that they have without being totally selfless in that way. Right. And, and, you know, back to another point that that you brought up, you know, here recently that it's not as if this was a fluke and this team doesn't have talent. And that was one of my key storylines in the championship game against UMass was that SLU and UMass are the only two teams in the Atlantic 10 that have had three different players named A-10 Player of the Week. They're the only two teams in the Atlantic 10 that have multiple players inside the top 10 in assists. I mean, to your point about this team whipping the ball around, the, the ball movement has just been outstanding. And the way that this team gets the ball out on the break some of the outlet passes that this team can make, 
I mean, there are passes that Julia Martinez makes that physically, I don't know if anyone else in the conference can make them because she has so much velocity on her passes and then the pinpoint accuracy on top of it. And I think it's been one of those things where, you know, she is such a good passer that it's taken the rest of the team a little bit to adjust like, oh, okay, if, if Julia's got the ball in her hands, I better have my head on a swivel and ready to receive the ball because at any given moment, that thing could be right on you and have a scoring opportunity like we saw late in the season. One of the things I want to touch on that uh, a little bit earlier in your answer there was about the two sides coming together, right? Like the Longwood coaches and players, the transfers coming together with the people who had been at SLU. And, and that was one of our questions for Coach Tillett when she came in was kind of, how do you make sure it's not too clubby, like all the Longwood people coming into a place where some of these other women have been for three, four, now five years? Um, how do you blend that together? I've noticed that she's done a lot of different, I don't want to say unconventional, but it seems like she's really done a lot of things to get them together off the floor in different ways, whether it's it's a lot of community service I see them doing. They've had uh, guest speakers come in on like leadership and other subjects. They did that, um, the military training uh, kind of stuff. Obviously, there's the ongoing mindfulness exercises that they do, but that's a that's a separate thing altogether. What have you seen, not just from what Coach Tilla has organized, but how have the players sort of taken it upon themselves to make sure their culture came together this season? Well, you know, it's so true what you hear people say that teams take on the personality of their head coach. And, you know, that tone is set from the top down, just the inclusiveness that Rebecca Tillett has for this entire team. You know, I think it would be easy to lose a player like a Cheval goal in the mix of everything. And, you know, she's from Istanbul, Turkey, and there have been a lot of tumultuous things that have gone on over there over the last calendar year, specifically within this basketball season as well. And Rebecca Tillett has continuously made it a point to really stay up with her and support her emotionally and, and with whatever else she might need, you know, say, you know, something's going on back in her, her hometown and it, she needs the day off from practice and, and coach is more than willing to say, hey, you sit this one out and, you know, goes over and we'll still make her a part of the practice. We'll talk to her and. And it's that inclusive, that inclusiveness, I think, that really, you know, permeates this group all the way around. And, you know, it's not just Rebecca Tillett. Of course, when you have a head coach that's like that, she finds like-minded assistant coaches and associate head coaches to surround herself with in that regard as well. And somebody that that really stands out just personality-wise is Ryan Micheletti. It's no surprise to see that she's the recruiting coordinator on this staff She's just got this infectious smile and a level of togetherness that she kind of brings with her personality. And I think it's allowed everyone to, you know, really accept one another. This, this group is so unconditionally supporting, and that's part of the positivity message that Rebecca Tillett keeps bringing up that this team has had, what's allowed them to make this turnaround midseason. But, you know, it's just a lot of those positive underlying character traits that, you know, it doesn't have anything to do with your three-point jumper. It doesn't have anything to do with how you handle the basketball. It has to do with how you handle personalities. And it has to do 
with you know how how you do with those extracurricular things and that example of Cheval Goal, I think is just a great example of uh, what this coaching staff has done collectively to you know not only ward off some of that potential clickiness but really drive it completely in the other direction where you know there's a genuine curiosity between these players. Not only do they want to get to know one one another on a personal level. They want to learn what they know basketball IQ wise. And hey, what can Kyla McMakin teach me? Hey, what can Kennedy Calhoun teach me on the floor? And you know, that's that's uh what's allowed this team to to really excel at a level that I think nobody really saw coming. You know, I one thing I, I think was my I think my biggest question when we talked about bringing the Longwood players to SLU is how would they react to competing in the A-10, like you said? What do you think a player like Kyla McMakin, because she is the standout Longwood transfer, what do you think she learned the most about competing in the A-10 this year? That she's more than capable of doing it? Um, Damn it, that wasn't a well-worded enough <laughs> question. He, well, he so... Let me expand upon that a little bit for you. She she has this this way about her of affecting the game in a way that's really hard for somebody who is not courtside to recognize. She's not the most boisterous or or you know physically demonstrative communicator on the team, but she is in my opinion the most effective communicator on this team and she is a leader in a way that you know again it's hard to pick up unless you're really there it, just an incredible mind for the game and it's amazing how often in practices where Kyla will bring something up and you know it's like hey how do we attack this look that the other team might throw at us or hey what are what are some of the sets that we can run if, if this is what's thrown in our face by the other team and you know obviously the coaches already have a pre-made list out of all the ways and they're just you know that's a teaching method you make you make your student answer the question rather than answering it for them and you know so often Kyla will come up with two or three new ways that the coaches hadn't even thought of how to attack something or a different way to react to hey maybe they're going to stunt at us defensively on this look well here's how you can counter it Kyla is always thinking about all those things in the the valuableness valuableness the huh. the Close enough. the the worth huh. that the it value. has <laughs> you could have you just value. you're not into the whole brevity thing i get that <laughs> <laughs> i'm not i'm not but you know well you get me talking about kyla mcmakin and i might never stop but she she, she just minutes. has this way of of knowing the right thing to do at the right time and that shows itself the most throughout the course of a game it, it really is having that extra coach on the floor with you out there and and you know that's just something that she's got to be extremely proud of with her game because you look at her and you might think hey this is somebody who can fill it up at an elite level scorer but like okay well how much else does she bring to the game whether you can see it on the stat sheet or not just an extremely valuable player how, how much stylistically, I just had this thought. I don't know why it never came to me. 
McMakin reminds me of a taller Kaija Harbison in a lot of ways. They both play a very, again, I, I get, I talk about things like Brooke Farge putting on muscle and I try to have <laughs> to like preface everything I say. Cause I certainly, they play men's basketball. They, I mean, they have yeah, a very, they have a very like stylistically fluid game comparatively to their peers which would mimic men's style basketball there. I said it in the best way possible. So you'll see things, you'll see things from a Kyla McMakin, like a, like an off the dribble step back fadeaway jumper that you just, you don't see all that often in, in the women's game necessarily. So I see where you're coming from with that, but you know, it's interesting because you can have a player like a Kyla McMakin, like you mentioned, I mean, legitimately, you look at the the athletic movements and some of the, the skills that she has handling the basketball, her ability to draw fouls in the lane. You know, it it's a beautiful thing to watch. And, you know, sometimes uh, one of your guests that you're about to have on, Julia Martinez, it might not be the most conventional style, but my goodness, is it effective. So it it is interesting how you have a little bit of a little bit of a dichotomy on the team in that regard, where you have a very you know beautiful type of game with Kyla McMakin. Not to say that what Julia does isn't beautiful, but it is just such a different type of hard nosed toughness you know style of game as opposed to Kyla. Not that Kyla doesn't have those characteristics either but it's just different the way that they get to that point to utilize those characteristics with their style of the game. I want to uh, look ahead to Tennessee and I'm wondering what was your reaction? First of all, when you saw not just their seed, but their draw, I, I know that there were some predictions that had slew as a 15 or a 14 or whatever, uh, they wind up a, a 13 and playing, you know, kind of the original blue blood in women's basketball. So, so what went through your mind when you saw that come across? Yeah. I mean, first of all, just so excited for this team to get this experience to take on the lady Vols and, you know, maybe they're not excited about having to travel to Knoxville to do it, but it's going to be an experience that no doubt they'll never forget. But you bring up the seating. I mean, a bit surprising, right? To see them all the way up as a 13 seed. From what I understood, uh, talking to league officials, is that there was no chance for them to be in a play-in game. That the automatic qualifier for the Atlantic 10 was exempt from from that play-in game. So that's why we knew. You mentioned a 15 or a 14. That's where my head was at as well was, you know, do they fall at that 15, 14 range? And, you know, to see this team as a 13 seed, maybe a little bit surprising in a in a good way. They still might be underseeded. Well, you know, it uh, I, you know, the way they're where, playing. It, it's it's interesting because it, how do you how do you look at a resume, right? right? Do you look at its entirety or do you look at what this team is doing right now? Sure. This team is playing at a 13 seed level, no question, because I would say that's about a 12 or a 13 is what you would have expected UMass likely to be if they had gone on and won the championship. But 
you know, also a lot of those committee members were looking at, hey, if, if that's what we saw UMass as is a 13 seed in this team beat them twice down the stretch, then this might be a legit 13 seed. And then this is the result. So basically a top right at that top 50 kind of kind of mark, basically. Yeah, which, you know, if you think about where this team was outside of the top 200 in net at yeah. one point this year to to make that kind of a meteoric climb, you know, incredibly impressive. And with those rankings, you can't throw away the non-conference games, right, with the net rankings mm -hmm. and so forth. But you get that human element involved and they see, OK, well, this is clearly a different team than what played in the first half of the season. And I think. That's what allows for this team to get the seating that they did. What do you know about Tennessee? Zach and I did kind of, uh, you know, we record on Sunday nights. And so we had very little time between when the seed was called and when we recorded. And, and from what we can tell, they've got a lot of size. Um, obviously, they played a really tough schedule. They're, they're battle tested. They always are. Um, and they have a couple players who can really go off who are both about 6'2". Um, so, so I'm kind of wondering what else you might uh, be able to tell us about them. Yeah. So those, those two six foot two players that you're referring to Rakia Jackson and Jordan Horston are absolute forces, but they get it done in different ways, despite having that same six foot two frame. Jackson is much more of a traditional post type player, but Horston who is listed as a guard, but she really plays more like a, a slashing three position out there on the floor She's an outstanding rebounder. She's their best rebounder on the team and really wants to get the ball inside. Jackson, the, the player listed as a forward, is actually the better three-point shooter of the two and the better free throw shooter. So it'll be interesting to see how SLU wants to go about trying to create that matchup. I think that Flowers does have the mobility to stick with the Horston if they did want to create that matchup. But then it really begs the question of who would you put on Jackson? So, you know, I I would I would lean towards, you know, seeing that Flowers-Jackson matchup. But you never know. It could change throughout the game, and it could be a potential switching situation if they're in ball screen actions with one another. But, uh, you know, stylistically overall for this Tennessee team, a little bit similar to SLU. They're, they're not built to be a team that beats you from the perimeter. They want to win the rebounding battle. They want to really get at you down in the painted area. They want to get to the foul line. So, you know, in a game of, of two teams that play similarly stylistically, more so than ever, I think, you know, the first five minutes of the first quarter are just extremely important, right? Because all those different things that I just talked about are toughness-based qualities in a basketball team. And you can bet with the size that you talked about for this Tennessee team, you know, obviously being a power five perennial powerhouse, they are going to bring plenty of not only that size, but it's the athleticism that goes along with that size that sometimes is the difference. It's not as if SLU hasn't gone up against really good six foot two players all year, but they haven't gone up against a player, at least since the non-conference schedule that can move like Jordan Horston can at six foot two. So how they handle that 
And like I say, Tennessee is not a huge three-point shooting team, but they do have one of the best three-point shooters in the nation in Tess Darby, who is another tall shooter, very similar to, you know, what they saw against Mizzou, a team that uh, Tennessee beat by three points. So, you know, again, earlier in the season, different uh, slew team that took on Mizzou, but to know that they they played that Mizzou team and they were right in there against Tennessee has to give this team some kind of belief of, okay, we we have some idea of what to expect and that we think that we can truly hang with this team. It's one thing to say it out loud, but do you truly believe it down in your heart? Right now, this team, I mean, they're convinced of it all down in their heart. You, that's that's why they've gone on this crazy run and and won the Atlantic 10. And, you know, that that X factor of the belief and seeing the results to back it up, I think is that that fueling factor that they're going to have to live off of in this game. Uh, Colin, one more question, and then we got to get to, uh, to the the one of the women of the hour. Um, you mentioned competing and hanging with them, and the spread opened at twenty three and a half. Uh, Billikens are the favorite. No, I'm kidding. They're they're, <laughs> they're the dogs. They're the underdogs. Uh, are you taking that? Oh, you know. The answer is yes. The answer is I don't know if I'm allowed to answer that. First of all, no, no don't bet on <laughs> um, it. Just means you don't actually bet on it. Secondly, secondly, you know, those are the kind of things. You know, how many how many times do you think that this team has looked at it and said, "Oh, okay, Brooke Flowers is is co-defensive player of the year after leading the nation in blocks." Oh, Rebecca Tillett is not the coach of the year after being preseason 12th and in finishing third. Oh, Kyla McMakin is not a first team. Oh, Julia Martinez can't even get a spot on the all conference team, which can't wait for you to get to have that conversation with her. What a great personality she is. But I think all of these things are, you know, they're not set out loud. It's not as if, you know, this is bulletin board material for the team, but you can feel like there's this undertone, this undercurrent of everyone feels slighted, but the focus isn't on the slight. The focus is what are we going to do about it? And, you know, that's what has me excited about the potential of this game. No predictions, no no saying that Slew's going to do anything crazy, but I, I mean it when I say that I would not put anything past this team and you know, again, if if they can make things interesting in those first five minutes of the game, you just never know how things are going to unfold. It, it's a it's a hungry Tennessee team. I'll tell you that a team that's been playing great ball down the stretch. I mean, the only team that they've lost to, you know, other than they lost on the road to Mississippi State by one. But over almost the last two months of play, the only team they've lost to is South Carolina. So it, this is a team that. You know, it's going to take everything for SLU to to be in it come the fourth quarter in this game. But let's not put anything past these ladies. It's a special bunch and a special season, and they'll look to try to continue it in Knoxville. Thanks, Colin. Uh, really appreciate you coming on, man. Always great to talk to you. And uh, uh, I wish I was going to be there in, in Knoxville, but I won't have a great trip. Safe travels. Well, I appreciate you guys for having me on. Love the show. Love to listen to it every Monday when it comes out. Great Billikens content. I mean, if you are a SLU fan and you are not watching, listening, taking in this podcast somehow, I don't know if you're a SLU fan. That's Thanks, what we like Tyler. right there. That's the poll quote.
Yeah. All right, man. Have a good one. Thanks, Colin. All right. See you guys. All right, Billiken fans, really excited uh, to bring on a player who has been the engine behind this Billiken team and uh, that I've been slowly trying to give the nickname Tasmanian Devil to, uh, (laughs) Julia Martinez. Uh, Julia, I don't know if you remember this, but I was actually introduced to you and your mother at the All-Star game at SLU High uh, back when you were a senior. Um, I'm thinking about watching that and and everything that has come after that. I mean, been through just an insane world event that lasted two years. um, Mm -hmm. And now we're sitting here and you're heading to the NCAA tournament. I mean, I'm, I'm speechless. I got nothing. No, and I'm right with you. I mean, I'm just as speechless as you are. <laughs> um, I mean, I don't know. It's just this is crazy four years, you know, and just to finally be able to, you know, actually win the A10 championship and you know go to March Madness. I think is such. I mean, such a dream. Um, but yeah, it's just so exciting. So uh, you got yeah. I I want to know because like like there's been some kind of. It sounds like there's been a few different answers to this, right? Like like when did this team really come together and turn it on this season, right? Like yeah, we've heard maybe it's the Wichita State game. Um, I know Coach Tillett has called that one out a couple times. Mm-hmm. But in your mind, when did when did that happen? When did it start to feel real to you? Like oh this okay this this is real. This is happening. Yeah, definitely a lot of different. A lot of different answers to that one. Um, I would agree with Tillett. I think Wichita State was definitely a game where we knew we had that fight in us. Um, you know, we still we still didn't win that one. We didn't end up with um, you know, we still lost. But I think coming back from that big like point deficit, we we knew that we had some type of fight in us that like we we can still keep playing. You know, if we had like about two more minutes in that game, we probably could have won. Um, but then I think honestly, the main, I think that the, the goal, the, the main game, what really started all was the Fordham game. Um, I think that game, you know, once, when we were playing with them and then we beat them, I think we were like, all right, like we can actually, we can play with teams, you know, Fordham is a really good team. They had all, the name behind their name, like all these players, um, the top two leading scorers in the conference, like all this stuff behind their name. And just the fact that we beat them and we, and it was just a, it was a big, great, like team win. It wasn't just like one person went off. It was every, everybody contributed. Um, I think just after that game, we're like, wow, like we just proved it to ourselves that we were actually able to beat a team. There's been so many times where we came so close into beating someone or right there, but we just, we lost. Um, But I think finally Fordham, we, we did it and we're like, all right, we can do it. We can keep, we can, why not keep doing it again? And it's kind of what happened. She uh, she talks about the 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 switch flipped uh, when she talks about the Wichita State game. I I I was at the Loyola game, the first game in conference, and that that was not fun. I'm sure you agreed. You were you were yeah. in the midst of it, right? <laughs> um, but what changed? We talk about the switch flipping. Everybody's talked about when it switched, but like what changed? I think it just really was just our mentality. I mean, I think the whole entire year we, we, we knew we could do it. Um, but just, it was kind of everyone like, all right, we're just sick of losing, you know, like just sick of losing and just, we're hungry, right. We're hungry to win. We're hungry, hungry to have success. We're hungry to, to again, prove to ourselves, prove to other people that like, we are a team that can, can win and have great success. So I think 
just I think our practices elevated you know I just um if you walked into the the arena while we were practicing it was just louder just more people are just sweating on the floor diving for the ball and just overall everyone elevated um and then from there it was just kind of like all right like it's just the attitude and just yeah the fight we had in us just grew so much more than it was in the beginning of the year when we saw that non-conference schedule come across, we thought like, okay, uh, this new coach is crazy because like this is a harder schedule than we've ever seen SLU play. Mm -hmm. And I think the numbers bear this out. It wound up being kind of a harder non-conference schedule than anybody else in the A-10 played either. And I, I think not only that, you played 15 non-conference games, if I'm not mistaken, which would be like the maximum allowable before a conference season. So at any point, were you feeling like, oh, this is a little, like a little too much, like a little, maybe I'm a little tired. Maybe I could have gone with one less game, or maybe you could have given us somebody else instead of them. You know what I mean? Was, was that ever the thing? Or did it feel like when you got to the A-10, like, all right, we're battle tested now. We can, we can take this on. I don't think there was, um, I don't think it was like, man, we should have played some easier teams or whatever. But um, I think playing those hard teams gave such a good experience um of us playing against teams like that you know Baylor you know such a great team but I think us knowing that we play them and now us playing Tennessee it's a little bit better like all right we played someone you know high up there before you know it's not like it's going to be our very first time so um I think going into conference we're like all right like we did play some really good teams we we saw a lot of different defenses um different schemes for different players and even we've also did that for other teams so I think um playing different teams like that we we're like all right like we've kind of seen it all we've kind of done a lot of it like whatever comes our way during conference like we'll be prepared because we've at least seen it once um but there's some time was there some times where we were a little you know maybe the team's confidence went down a little bit yeah I think so you know losing a lot in a row it kind of hurts a little bit but I mean I think just credit to our coaches until it like they were just they did not let up on us. They were just totally like on us every single day and just the belief and our values and everything. And it like, you know, I think, um, you know, some teams might just give up at that point, you know, looking at the record or whatever, but everyone kind of, everyone stayed true to the course. And yeah, it, it I think definitely the schedule, it, it was hard, but I think now looking back on it, it was worth it. One thing I've really enjoyed when watching you play is kind of your unorthodox style offensively. Uh, I mean, you, you have put some insane English on the ball to get it to spin in from a bank <laughs> below the rim. I don't, I don't understand it, but like, where did this come from? Like, where did this style come from? I, I think I described it as like giving somebody a basketball and a hoop and just telling them figure it out without them ever seeing basketball and practicing for 10,000 hours and becoming really freaking good at it. Mm -hmm. Um, Honestly, I think, my biggest struggle my whole life was I was able to get to the basket, but then I just go way too fast that it's hard for me to finish sometimes. So, I mean, I think I worked on my lips so many times in my life. Um, do I get lucky sometimes that it just happens to spin in there perhaps, but, um, I mean, I just really focus on, you know, getting to that target, the top of the, the, the backboard, you know, the corner of the little box to bank in there or whatever. I don't know. I think it's just, my biggest, my biggest um, thing in my head is like, all right, like to get to the basket, to get, to get an open layup and then the finish will just hopefully be there. And I think sometimes it just happens to roll in there or spin in there. I don't know. I, I can't give you a definite answer of where that came from. It just kind of popped up. <laughs> Do you, have you ever modeled, tried to model your game on anybody or is it just kind of come together the way it has? 
Um, it kind of came together. You know, I think there was definitely a lot of a lot of um, women's basketball players that I watched, but no one specifically that I was like, oh, I wanted to be exactly like her. Um, I think each year there's kind of been a different style of Julia a little bit. If you go to my freshman, sophomore, junior, now senior, um, I think just each year I've just really tried to work on my game. And um, I think this year is just a big step in just of like how hard I was playing out there and just kind of giving it my all. And I think overall that kind of elevated different parts of my game. Um, but yeah, no, no one really specific exactly who I would base off my style game of. Zach and I have occasionally made the Jordan Goodwin comparison yeah. just because of like that. the way that you guys impact the game. It's like, you know, they can make plays with the balls and the ball in their hand, like make that pass. They get rebounds, they get offensive boards, they get after it on defense in a way that like you never see. Um, so that's one that we've been going back to a lot this season. I'm glad we're not the only ones though, that we're not crazy. Yeah, no, I've heard that one before. I mean, that's a compliment. Thank you. I appreciate that. He's a great player. <laughs> Uh, on the defensive side, um, I've I've started calling like calling at the counter press because it reminds me of uh, you know playing defense when you lose the ball in soccer. Um, you seem to relish going after the steal off of a turnover or a defensive rebound. How is that a is that a you thing or is that a Tillett thing or is that like is that a thing that both of you have in common? Like what's up? um like after a turnover and then going first the yeah other. you all like you're immediately like your first thought is get the ball back yeah 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 definitely the answer back mentality is definitely a big thing um for me I think anytime I make some type of turnover mistake I'm like oh like how can I how can I make that back up or how can I get it back to the team and I love that um, you got to put that on a shirt <laughs> answer you know, back like, that's that's your brand like that's yeah, fantastic yeah. Yeah, well, um, Tillett points it out. She says it's a, an answer back mentality that like, you know, let's say something, let's say um, one team drains a three, you're going to answer back and drain a three right back in their face or whatever. But my answer back mentality, this is whenever I have a turnover and I'll just try to do, um, get a steal or a great rebound or whatever and um, to kind of get it back for my team. But yeah, I think it's just, uh, I think Tillett definitely did um, help me with that and introduce that a little bit. But then there's, it's also just in my head where I'm like, gosh, man, like, I don't want that with, you know, I don't want to hurt my team with this one turnover, whatever. So I'll do whatever I can to, to try to get that back in our hand, the ball in our hands and not the other teams. We're talking about steals. Who's got the quicker hands, you or Ken Calhoun? <laughs> um, Honestly, I think quicker hands, she's definitely really good at, on on-ball defense. I think, uh, uh, you know, I, I'll let her do all that. The, the on-ball pressure, she's really good at that. And, um, you know, there's times during practice when she's guarding me and she steals the ball from me and I'm like, man, um, I, I prefer to steal from like people passing or try to be sneaky from behind or whatever. That's the way I like to do it. So I think her and I little combo duo is definitely, um, it's a great little pairing together because I bet that that player probably gets annoyed if it's on ball or off ball stealing that they don't know where to go with the ball with. I want to ask about another defensive specialist on your team and Brooke Flowers what's it like to to play with her defensively I know you're much different positions but yeah uh, but certainly there's a lot of lessons to learn there oh I love playing with Brooke it's so nice because you know I obviously you don't want to you don't want your your player to beat you to the basket but if they do you know I got her in the paint there to have my back to get a block or you know it's kind of scary to go in there and see um, a six, five player in there and you get scared, uh, the nation's leader in black in black. So, 
um, definitely, I love playing with her on defense and she's also very vocal, really loud defensive leader. So, um, you know, she'll call out screens. So it's not like it's a, a blind screen that I get hit with or anything like that. But, um, yeah, having, having her in that paint is so helpful to our team for sure. I mean, she's just laughably dominant at times. Uh, ha, have you been a victim? Have you been victimized by Brooke flowers blocks? Oh, for sure. 100%. There's times where it's been some ugly, <laughs> ugly blocks where I'm like, oh man, like, eh, that's okay. Everyone gets blocked. You know, I kind of give myself a little, that's eh, okay. Everyone does that too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can, you're not, you're not in uh in rare company there. No, um, no. So looking at, uh, so looking at the selection show, right? Like um, you're sitting there, what are your expectations um, at the time versus what the actual draw was? Um, you know, I, I actually, to be honest, I didn't think, I didn't think we we're going to get a 13th seed. Um, I bet no one really did, to be honest. I think we we're going to get a little bit of a lower seed, but you know, I, I didn't have that too high of expectations. So many people had predictions of who we were going to play and where and whatever, but honestly, I was like, those things change all the time. There were still some teams that were still playing at having won their conference yet. So I try not to I try not to think too much into that thing stuff. So I was just waiting for our name to see who we were going to pick. But, you know, once we came out with the 13th seed in Tennessee, I was like, all right, like we can do this. I think us getting that 13th seed kind of showed a little respect that they had for us. And, you know, considering us 17, 17, a 500 team um, and to get the 13th seed, but they definitely did their research and have watched our, us recently, you know, a pretty hot team at the moment, not in the beginning of the year. So um, yeah, I think it was definitely a little bit of a respect of us seeing that. Yeah, I, I, I'm sitting there watching the selection show, and I, I go after ESPN, forgets to put them in the bracket a week ago. Yeah. They're they're going to make them the last team against Iowa, aren't they? That's what they're going to do. And I sat there, and then as soon as I said that, popped up in the bracket. It yeah. was, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was amazing. Uh, what was your reaction to Tennessee? Um, actually, I'm kind of pretty excited. You know, it's such a, a historical, um, historical school and, you know, the Pat summit and they have the women's hall of fame there that I think we're going to be able to go to just, I mean, it's definitely just a, such a cool experience and a place to go to. And I mean, they're a really great team and, um, I'm excited to play someone like that because, you know, it definitely tests us. And I mean, it also can test them, you know, they can play us easily and, um, you know, you, you never know exactly what's, what's going to come your way, but, um, yeah, I'm excited. I think it's going to be really fun. How soon did it go from let's enjoy this moment to, all right, let's scout, let's scout Tennessee. Let's figure this team out. Um, it's kind of funny. Once we found out who we were playing, I looked back and till it and some of my coaches were already looking at their phone and looking at the, their schedule and already started scouting. So, I mean, I th think everyone's just really excited and, um, they've already done, they've already done some film and we've already gone over some stuff during practice today and yesterday, but, um, yeah, I think, you know, definitely a nice little celebratory week. And then once that Tennessee got announced, it was like, all right, let's get to work. Um, yeah. Uh, not only do you get to play a game at one of college ball, all of college basketball's meccas, uh, it's going to be on ABC. How excited was your mom to not have to explain to all your distant relatives how to find the game? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I think a lot of people eventually got the ESPN subscription, but having it on AB, ABC is probably much easier for them to access on their TVs or anything like that. Um, I know a lot of people wanted to go, but it is a little bit 
a little, it's kind of far from Chicago, which is where I'm from. Um, so I think there's going to be some watch parties back at home. Um, yeah, ABC, it's pretty cool. Who, who geeked out on the team the most when they heard about it was going to be on ABC. Like I would have been the guy that been like, that's right. Like that, that would have been me. Like I'm the dork. That's like excited to play on that. Like uh, channel 30 like that. I was like, Oh my God, the Billikens are on channel 30. That's wild. Right. Yeah. Everyone was really excited. I don't think there was one specific person that was like, what ABC. Um, I bet there's some people on the team who probably don't even know that it's on ABC to be honest. Um, but yeah, I mean, definitely a cool experience to be on there. And um, I think it's our first time, Sue Women's Basketball, maybe. Okay. Yeah, so um, just a really cool experience. And it's kind of cool to put our name out there and for other people to watch who are just probably just scrolling on their TV and like, hey, okay, let's, let's watch Tennessee versus St. Louis Billikens. And who's that? So we'll definitely put our name out there. Is that we're talking to a different generation here, you know, and like network TV doesn't mean as much anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's, on, it's on Disney+. Plus. Uh, no, I... Uh, uh, yeah, no, it's not. I wish it that would be that'd be wild. Yeah, when do you actually head down to to Knoxville? Uh, we're leaving Thursday, Thursday okay. morning. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and NCAA tournament travel is pretty straightforward. But uh, you know, one of our favorite questions on this show is: Do you have any just crazy, nightmarish travel stories? Anything where everything went wrong? Um, actually kind of a fun story. So yes. here, <laughs> I wouldn't say it's crazy. I'm sure you've heard some more crazy ones. However, um, I guess I have really two quick ones. They're not like too super long. So I guess, um, this year when we were playing at Davidson, uh, we were away and all right, like we're about to leave to go to the game. And then I was like walking on the bus and all of a sudden I heard the bus just go do, 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 do. like it just shut down like walking on the bus, like headphones in, jersey on, we're about to go to the arena to start warming up. And then the bus just stopped working. So we're like, all right, like let's go watch some film while they fix this out. So fix, uh, figure this out. So we went in the back in the hotel, just watched some really quick more film, you know, why not just to waste some time, right? And then finally our adobo was like, all right, starters are in this this uber car the other five are going to be in this uber car then the other team's going to be in this car and we all just ubered to the arena there was like three four cars that ubered to the arena and we all got there at separate times it was so funny and we we're like oh my gosh like what a mess but hey we got there we, we we got there on time and everything worked out but just ubering to a game is kind of a funny story it's you know. like mom and dad taking different flights <laughs> no literally like it's just a, we're all like split up and we're all like kind of stuffed in with our bags on our on our um our chairs and it was just yeah it was just crazy that was how that's probably the best like bus story and then the other like flight one charter was this year our, it was just la our last our last conference game against Loyola in Chicago we um we were like all right let's fly out and then we it just got kept on pushing back and back and back finally it's like midnight 12 30 almost one we're like all right let's just go we'll just leave the next morning I don't know there, there were some technical difficulties I don't know some mechanical stuff so we ended up just staying at a hotel somewhere downtown Chicago really nice I'm from Chicago, Chicago so it's kind of nice and then we stayed at a really nice hotel and then we had some time so we went shopping down Michigan Avenue that you're nice. making making lemonade out of lemons I love exactly it. i bought some a nice pair of jordans at the nike store so <laughs> i was like all right this is not too bad 
So, uh, so when, when coach Tillett shows up at, at SLU, um, in the off season, what, what was, uh, what was it that she said, or what were your conversations like that, that convinced you to, uh, to stay and play at St. Louis? Yeah. I mean, I think right away, she made such a great impression just immediately her walking into the locker room. When we first all saw her, just everything she said was just the right thing, right? All the values she was saying. And I think each person, each person had to ask a question and, because each one she was so confident and she knew the answer to. And it's like, wow, like this is going to be great. And then the very first thing she kind of said to me individually, one-on-one, um, she gave me a hug and she was like, man, I just love the way you pass. And I think just that simple, small sentence is just super important because not all coaches look at that, right? A lot of coaches just look at the points or um, just, yeah, like points per game, percentage, whatever. And not everyone likes the, the assists or don't pay attention to that. So I think just that, and it's like, wow, okay, like she's done her research, she kind of knows who I am, she kind of knows my game. So that right right in itself just stood out to me. And I'm like, wow, like this is this is gonna be pretty great. And then from there, she's just been so great. She's set such a great culture. And um, yeah, I love Tilla. She's been doing such a great job with our team. She's a huge part of our team's success, this whole entire program's success. Um, yeah, I like her a lot. Julia, I want to I want to thank you uh, for uh, you know the the time you've had here at St. Louis University and and what you've brought especially this season to to Billiken fans and you know this program I've I've followed it I was probably eight nine ten my uncle would take me to games um, it's it's a it's very special to me in a lot of ways um, you know, even on top of the, the men's program. So I, I just want to thank you for bringing the, the enjoyment back. Uh, you know, I, I did enjoy it, but I mean, this has been on another level for me uh, of enjoyment uh, with this team. And I just, I can't thank you enough. And uh, yeah, I'm so excited to watch on Saturday. Yeah, no, thank you. I really appreciate it. I mean, it's been one hell of a ride and I, I'm just so happy that it it's now finally all coming together and, things are exciting and, you know, more and more people are coming to our games and we're getting more attention. So um, that's exciting. And I mean, your support is super, super grateful. Thank you. Thank you. So what are your, uh, what are your plans for, for, I, I don't want to look too far ahead, but what are your plans after this season look like? Um, well, right after season, I'm definitely going to take some time to rest. <laughs> Let <Yeah>. my body <laughs> heal. I have so many bruises. and After you, know, you win morning. a national championship. Every right, right, right. <laughs> every morning, have a little aches here and there. So definitely gonna take some time for myself and um, rest, heal a little bit, and then I do have another year of eligibility left. So um, yeah, I'm not gonna make any announcements on here of what I'm gonna do. But well, I mean, you know what? It, it, I'm just I'm just throwing out there. We'll take the announcement either way on the show if, <laughs> if you like. Uh, we can we can talk about that later. We'll talk about that later. Yeah, but um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely going to be a good time to kind of heal, rest, and then just still improve my game of what's next. I do have another year of eligibility left. But you'll be graduating everything? Yeah, I am going to be graduating. I'll be graduating with a bachelor's in exercise science. And then um, right now I'm in the athletic training, a master's program. Right. Cool. Well, we're going to let you go, let you rest up, uh, get ready to take down Tennessee. Uh Best of luck. And, and before you go, if you have anything you want to say to Billiken Nation, the, the floor is yours. Uh, yeah, I just, you know, really appreciate um, the support and all the content you guys have given. And um, thank you to everyone who's just, you know, really stuck it out with us, even from the beginning. You know, my night, it wasn't pretty in the beginning, but 
um, you know, we definitely stayed, stayed through the course, trusted the process. And now here we are for the first time playing in uh, the March Madness tournament. So yeah, thank you. Kick some ass on Saturday. All right. All right. We'll do it. Thank you so much, you guys. No, thank you. Thank you. Billiken fans, we brought on uh, a, a Tennessee guest. We got to we gotta get the inside scoop on what's going on with the Lady Vols. Uh, Nathaniel Rutherford, who covers the Lady Vols for Southeastern 14. Uh, Nathaniel, great to have you on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me on here, guys. I do have a really quick question for you guys before we start. What the heck is a Billiken? Oh, uh, we, were t- we were talking beforehand. I've, well, there I've goes to, our there goes our time. Yeah, yeah I've, I've, we're, been we're to, I've been to I've been to campus. I've I've actually uh, somewhere as I was talking to you guys as a, on a flip phone from 2010. There's a picture of me with the uh, statue there on campus. But I so I should know. I feel like what a Billiken is, but uh, I don't. So we're looking at two it? of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, what would you say, Zach? So it's a, I think it's something of a good luck charm, right? Yeah, it's, uh, it's... I, I think it, it it originates in kind of like Pacific, you know, Japanese and Alaskan cultures, and um, it became really popular about a century ago. Uh, you know, turn of the century, it was it was uh, it was something that the you Furby, could... the Furby before <laughs> the troll doll before the troll doll, the tickle me Elmo. Yeah, uh, it you know it's there's so it's interesting because there is a there is that a, that Asian uh, Eastern um, kind of aspect to it, that Far East aspect to it, but there's also the the Kansas City art teacher who. Drew, saw it in a dream and drew it up uh that i you know there's if you watch uh if you go back to uh deadliest catch the first season one of the ships is the billiken uh yeah. which is one of my favorite fun facts but yeah no it's a good luck charm yeah uh, you know uh rub its belly for good luck um it's you know the god of things as they ought to be which i find it interesting that we're a catholic university with a with a, uh, you know, a deity that calls itself a God. And we, 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 you know, we actually put that on the marketing materials, but, uh, yeah, no, actually, I think they say it represents, they don't call it the God of mm, things. Sure. Like right. Yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, it's, Nathaniel, oh, it's, sorry, wait, it, isn't it like it's, it's good luck to acquire one. It's like better luck to have one gifted to you and it's yes. the best luck to steal one or something like that. Yes. To have it. <laughs> to, yeah. Yes. Yes, it is. Which I, th- those three things, like the first two are, they, they go together and then like stealing it. Why would you I'm like, what? No, okay. Um, Nathaniel, uh, we know about the history of Tennessee. It's, it's written, you know, everywhere across college sports and uh, the championships, the legendary players and the legendary head coach. She's long gone from Tennessee. Uh, how much of Summit's fingerprints are still on how the program is run there? Well, I think very much. You look at the two coaches who have been hired since her and they both were assistants slash players under her. I <laughs> mean, uh, Hallie Warlick was was both. She was an assistant for a very long time under uh, Pat Summit and also was a player under her and, and Kelly Harper, who you know was Kelly Jolly at the time, was the point guard for the teams that won the back-to-back-to-back national titles in the 90s. So even just that alone, it shows you the fingerprints and, and how much Pat still has a huge impact and, uh, you know, the foundation she laid there in the program. But it's also still with the, really, I guess, kind of the, the in-game philosophy of the program. Lady Vols were built very much on rebounding and toughness and effort 
under Pat Summit, and that's been the formula for the most part, even since she stepped down, it's especially the last couple of years with this particular lady ball program, this, this team this year too, has been on rebounding and effort and second chance opportunities. Um, that that's been, that there's a reason why lady balls have been one of the best rebounding teams. It's not just because of their size. Um, but there's a reason why they've been one of the best rebounding teams over the last, well, I mean, really 30, 40 years, but especially look at the last few years, even, even, you know, taking away from you know, South Carolina being obviously the best at that, but the lady balls still are, consistently one of the best rebounding teams out there and that that's still that takes again all credit goes to pat summit for that being something she drove home rebounding and defense which i know is a, is a bedrock of a lot of uh basketball programs but that is the lady of all formula is rebounding and defense and that's what this team has really tried to build it's it's you know hang its hat on defense maybe not as much this year as in years past but still not a definitely nothing to uh sneeze at for the defense and definitely rebounding is one of the better you know rebounding rates in the country as the rest of the SEC has kind of caught up with Tennessee and become more competitive and, you know, arguably in recent years past Tennessee in terms of like South Carolina, you've got LSU and some other really strong programs down there. How do you think the Tennessee program has responded to that and kind of where do they stand in the SEC landscape today? Yeah, I think that's, it's interesting to look at. And obviously here in the Knoxville bubble, it's, it's a, topic of conversation i've always kind of wondered what it's like more nationally because i still think even nationally lady of all still get a lot of recognition and respect i think even maybe a, bit, a little bit of leniency because there were there was a year a, a few years ago where lady balls probably shouldn't have gotten into the tournament and they got in anyway and they lost in the first round but i, I still think there's a lot of leniency and kind of um you know benefit of the doubt given to the lady ball program but I, you're right like south county has passed them by you could argue LSU has as well, but I mean, definitely Carolina has. There's been multiple SEC teams that have won national titles since the Lady Balls last won theirs, and the Lady Balls haven't even gotten close really since then. They haven't made an Elite Eight in a very long time. Obviously, haven't won a title since 2008. It's been it's been interesting to kind of watch because you you kind of saw to go to the football landscape for UT football. I mean, they wandered around in the desert for 15 years before finally seeming hopefully hiring a coach now who has gotten them out of the dregs and, and is looking to you know put them back to where ut football has been they've also kind of the same boat i mean they haven't been nearly you know they were never nearly as bad as the football program got but they were still it was they were setting records in a bad way and under holly warlick and there's still a few times under kelly harper they've set some records that you know the ut program you wouldn't want to set in terms of losing streaks in terms of um, just droughts and different things like that or losing to certain teams they haven't lost to before but it does seem like this you know it seems like there was a turning point last year where the team got off to an incredibly hot start last year even after losing Ray Morrell for a, a large portion of the season and then you lose another key uh, bench player your six your six woman basically and Keen Green and then Jordan Horston gets hurt so like injuries it feels like injuries have been the unfortunate uh just something that's been a, a huge just boon or not boon the opposite of that a huge just something really bad for kelly harper the last you know ever since she's been here they've had a, a bad injury or two i think every year since she's been here obviously this year wasn't an injury but it was tamari key having blood clots in her lungs that ended up sidelining her after the first month or month and a half of the season um but i think to answer that was a long-winded way to get into your, your, your question they have been surpassed and i, I but i think there's hope now thanks to the last couple of years that the, you know, the, the rebuilding efforts are, are 
I guess, finally coming to fruition a little bit where it doesn't seem like the trajectory is downward. It seems like hopefully they've hit the valley and are now making their way back up the mountain. There's still plenty of, you know, there's still a lot of ways to go. You, you know, we've seen it this year and last year, both how just the discrepancy between South Carolina I and mean, really everyone, but really, you know, especially this year, but to South Carolina and Tennessee seeing, okay, labels have a few really good players, really good athletes. South Carolina has like seven, eight really good athletes that could start in any other program in the country. So, you know, labels are, are, are getting that talent pool restockpile, but it's definitely not to the, the level of a, of a Stanford, of a South Carolina for sure, but even of a Stanford or a UConn or, you know, other teams that have, as you mentioned, kind of, taken the reins a little bit now that lay balls have been you know down for a few years there, there have been a lot you know there's more a lot more parity now than there was 15 years ago in right. the women's game which is good but um it is definitely making tennessee's climb a lot harder i find it so interesting and one of the things i've kind of fixated on recently is too big to fail uh and how it kind of applies to college basketball and it's interesting now that I think about it that, you know, I hadn't heard about the Lady Vols in a while um, as it go- pertains to, you know, ESPN and all the, the the major outlets. But I'm wondering, you know, with them being down, what still is the ex- – what was the expectation going into this season? This season, the expectations were very high because you had a big, big um... – a few additions in the transfer portal, Rakia Jackson being obviously the biggest one, but you went and added the players like Jazz Powell, who's a point guard from Minnesota, uh, Jillian Hollingshed, who was a former five-star who played it um, in the SEC as well. And then you also added a former, um, former Kelly Harper player, actually, when she was a coach at Missouri State in, um, oh gosh, her name slipped my mind for some reason, but you, you went and you went and added some really big pieces to this team from the transfer portal, along with five-star Justine Passat as a, he's a recruit as well. And you returned a, a player like Jordan Horston, who is a, you know, all American caliber, all SEC caliber. She does basically everything. She can score, she can rebound, she can steal, she can assist. Like she does, she does, she can play really one through four on the floor. And you return a few other key pieces, you know, that were, that were good depth pieces that were freshmen that were a year older. So the expectations I think for this year, were probably, you know, maybe, maybe it's slightly unfair, but I think a lot of people were thinking Final Four this year for this team as a potential. You know, Lady Vols haven't been there in a long time, but you look at a lot of the pieces you returned, you look at a lot of the players you'd added, and you had a rest, what looked like on paper a, a roster set to be one of the best in the SEC. Now they did end up being one of the best in the SEC, but they had a huge, I mean, as you guys probably know, a huge struggle earlier in the year because they were very new. I mean, you had a lot of guys, a lot of players returning, but you had a lot of players returning in different roles and you had the new players you brought in, obviously playing in different roles. The chemistry was not there. There were, I mean, there's just, was a lot of different issues with the team and they had the toughest schedule I've ever seen a team have. And obviously it was the number one uh, strength of schedule in the women's game this year. But you look at the teams they played at the beginning of the season, and they, they played teams that are like multiple teams that are number one, number two, number three, number four seeds in the tournament right now. I mean, you're looking at Stanford, you're looking at uh, Virginia Tech, you're looking at Indiana. You started the season with Ohio State. I mean, it, that doesn't mean include, there's other ones I'm not even that I'm like blanking on. They they did beat Colorado, who was again an NCAA tournament team. Then you get into the SEC play. Of course, you play South Carolina twice. 
um, you end up playing them a third, or excuse me, you play them twice because you play them in the SEC tournament title game, but you also had UConn thrown in there too. I mean, mm-hmm. they just, they had a brutal schedule, especially early on. You played LSU uh, a couple of times as well, ended up beating them the second time. But I mean, you, you look at the number of, you know, top 15, top 20 teams that the Lady Vols played this year, and it was incredible. And the majority of them were in the first month, month and a half of the season where you were trying to figure things out. And then you also ended up, again, losing Tamari Key for the season, um, kind of near the tail end of all that. So I think the expectations going in this year were very high. And I think now looking at the bracket and the draw they have, I don't know that they'll reach Final Four, but I think I feel more confident now that they can at least get to the sweet 16, which is not where, you know, historically is not the expectation for the program. But I think given everything that happened this year where the team is now, I think fans would accept a sweet 16. I don't know. I think they would be, I don't know about happy, but they'd say, okay, that's, you know, that, that's a good job considering everything that happened. Getting to an elite eight would be very solid. Cause that would be your first elite eight in a very long time for this program. Getting to the final four, obviously, would be incredible because you would probably have to beat UConn to get there. And Mm -hmm. uh, of course, Tennessee and UConn, uh, one of the best rivalries in sports period. So, but I think the expectations were very high to at least be top two in the SEC. And they were very close to that. They finished top three, uh, obviously made it to the SEC tournament title. And I think final four was what a a, a good chunk of people were thinking could happen. But again, you know, that can still happen. I mean, we, the tournament hasn't even started yet. One of the things I noticed, you're talking about all those opponents and, and their strength of schedule, just how tough it was. One of the things that jumped out to me when we first got the draw and and Zach and I recorded our show like literally 15, 20 minutes after we saw um, Slew's name come across with Tennessee. Um, on that schedule, Tennessee did lose to all those ranked teams. You know, mm-hmm. like it, it just seemed like there was uh, kind of a like where they are now, right? Like at the bottom, bottom of the top 25, it seemed like anybody above that, they just couldn't get over. And they were beating everybody below that, right? Um, how how important was it to kind of get that LSU win late in the SEC tournament, late in the year, um, as kind of a, a, a proof of, you know, we're, we're, we're legit. We're still Tennessee. Like, we're, we're, we're still in the mix here. Oh, it was huge. I mean, you, you're, you nailed it. I mean, that, I think there was a collective, I guess kind of like a sigh of relief, but also just kind of like a, Yes, finally, when that game happened, because for one, it wasn't just that they beat LSU. They had to come back. They were down late in the second quarter by 17 points. I think they were down by 14, maybe at halftime. Uh, So they had to make a not just a comeback, but a pretty big comeback to uh, come back and beat LSU. And they did it in really dramatic fashion there late in the fourth quarter as well. I think that and it being LSU and it being, you know, just the way LSU kind of has conducted themselves this year too, but especially people don't like Kim Mulkey uh, as well. I, I think that just, it, it was a, I think you said, I think it made people, made fans especially. And I think the players too really feel like finally the hard work has not, not fully paid off, but it, like you said, finally showing that, okay, the fruits of our labor are finally starting to produce. We had all these teams at the beginning of the year that were kind of LSU caliber that we could not beat. And finally, got a chance to do it again in the, the time where it matters most. You're in March, or I guess late February at that point, possibly. Whenever, whenever it was, you did it when it mattered most in tournament time, and you got the win. And I think you're absolutely right. Like that, that It was huge to get that win because you hadn't done it before then. Uh, again, a lot of those games that happened when you were early in the season, but that's still not an excuse. That's still like, a, you know, you can, you can 
count as many good losses as you want to, but it's better to have good wins than not bad losses. Uh, so I, I think, you know, the committee may have done Tennessee a little bit of a favor, giving them a four seed, but at the same time, I feel like they did earn it by, they don't have a single bad loss on their record, on their resume. And they, they did, like you said, beat up on everyone, everyone else that was, you know, ranked below them. That was a not top 25 team or kind of cusp of the top 25. And then finally getting the LSU victory. So yeah, it was a, Again, it was a, it felt very much like a, a weight off the shoulders. There, I think, a couple of different articles I saw. I think Cora Hall of Knox News here locally wrote one about, you know, it being that feeling of finally it looked like you know looked pretty dire there in the first half and coming out of halftime, but then finally, you know, you could see the light at the end of the tunnel and you finally got a big win to justify you know a lot of things that had to just justify kind of the season and justify your you know the team's confidence in themselves and and why you know they felt as strongly as they did about themselves going into this year right so pete mentioned you know the schedule and of course the first thing that uh billiken fans saw when looking at the lady vol schedule was the common opponents and that being umass and mizzou now I'll preface it's it's kind of funny because when we sit here and I I say hey look SLU beat UMass by more than Tennessee beat UMass uh, I think but I don't know if that's true I think it is true I think we beat them <laughs> by like twelve in the final um, you might you might be right because I remember that UMass game being kind of ugly it was uh, oh oh okay yeah all right all right yeah so, you, they only beat them by nine that's right. So, but it's funny because you could almost swap the two teams, like the narrative, because, you know, you talked about the Lady Vols being in the front of their season when they were, you know, not cohesive. The Billikens on the end of the season now being cohesive when if they played UMass back at the same time, the Lady Vols, I mean, it would have been maybe a 40, 50 point loss. I'm not even kidding. Yeah, because wasn't, wasn't, yeah, Slew was six and 16 at one point. They rattled off like they've gone 11 of like 11 and one over the last, which that, I mean, that was incredible. We, we were talking about it on, on our show for Southeastern 14, and my, the main host, Blake, brought it up. He's like, they've won. He's like, they, they were six and 16 and are now in the NCAA tournament. I was like, that's a credit to Slew. I mean, that was a, an incredible turnaround of a season. They they don't I, look I anything no like idea. they did a couple months ago. I still have no idea. Like, I mean, we literally last night we sat down and talked to the uh the voice of the team, the the play-by-play, and then we talked to point guard Julia Martinez last mm-hmm, night. Mm-hmm. I still have no idea. She explained it perfectly, and I have no clue. Like <laughs> it's it, it's this team is this there's something, man. There's something here and uh we're we're very excited to see it happen but um yeah no i just uh i'm curious what we're gonna see um you know what what to look out for for your your average uh billiken fan who doesn't really know much about this lady vol team at all yeah well i think first and foremost you have to start with the dynamic duo of rakia jackson jordan horston both first team all sec both um i think both got uh, as of today, All-American honorable mention, I think by the AP and, and somebody else too. But uh, those two are the ones you circle immediately. Uh, Rakia Jackson, before the SEC tournament final against South Carolina, had scored 20 or more points, I think, in seven straight games, or eight, maybe even eight straight games before that point. And she's been on an absolute tear. And she just announced this week that she's going to return for another season for Tennessee next year. So fans are, of course, extremely happy 
about that, but she has been incredible. She's she is a legit top five WNBA draft pick. Her offensive game is one of the best offensive games I've seen for the Vols since Candace Parker. I mean, she just she's phenomenal with her jump shot, their ability to drive to the basket, a uh, pull up. I mean, she, fade away. I mean, she she can hit just about any shot. She doesn't shoot that many threes. She is capable of hitting them. But if you get her the ball and she's at the at the elbow, watch out because she can shoot it from there. She can fake you out, drive to the bucket, or she's also capable of driving and passing back out to uh, Tess Darby, who's a Tennessee's best three point shooter. Uh, out in the corner for three. So offensively, this team has been pretty dynamic. They've actually, it's been one of the better offenses in the last few years for the Lady Vols. And again, it starts with Rakia Jackson. Jordan Horston's really good slasher to the basket. She could do everything. She's a 6'2 guard, again, who plays, who can play one through four. So it's going to be, she's kind of a, mis- a matchup nightmare for anyone else because it, her skill set is just really hard to replicate. Tess Darby, I mentioned her, really good three-point shooter. Um, Tennessee's best three-point shooter. And your other your other players you really kind of need to keep an eye on are the point guard, point guard duo. You, you have Jazz Powell who will come off the bench, but really uh, Jordan is Jordan Walker is the the main kind of point guard out there for the most time. She's she's a sixth year senior, I want to say, um, who can do it. She she's I'll say she's a lot tougher and grittier than people probably expect because she's a little bit smaller, but she's not afraid to go in there among the the six three six four six five guard or post players and try to drive the basket and get some buckets there. But she's when she takes care of the ball, she's really effective. Um, that's been like, that's one thing I, I noticed with St. Louis and and kind of the one area I have the biggest concern because I, I do think Lady Vols with their size because you have Jillian Hollandshed who's six five, you have uh, Caroline Stripling who I think six three six four. You get Horston who's six two, uh, Rakia who's six foot or six foot one, and then you have I think another player, uh, Justine Passat, who sometimes plays. She's six four, but she still plays more of the perimeter. But you, you have a lot of size for Tennessee, is my Did point. Did you say six four and plays the perimeter? Yep, she's gonna be interesting to watch in years to come. She she's a she's a six four, I, I guess kind of the stretch four kind of in a way. I, I would like I think she'll probably play more in the post as she gets older, but she is. A really good three point shooter as a six four uh, forward slashing guard. Game done. Uh, she's going to develop. I think she's got you know she's still got some development to do, but she's going to I think develop into a really interesting weapon on offense for Tennessee. Um, but like I said, I was mentioning the one thing I saw that kind of concerned me about St. Louis um, is that they do steal the ball. I think the, you think they're averaging like almost ten steals per game. Um, and Vols, the biggest issue they've had this year has been with turnovers. Um, and games where they've had the most turnovers have been games where they have had the most struggles. And that's it's probably true for most teams, but I'm talking about Vols have had multiple games this year where they've turned over 20-plus times in a game. And that's been the reason why an inferior opponent has been able to, you know, keep close or in some cases why they were they lost games they maybe shouldn't have to, you know, teams that are ranked higher. There, there are a couple of games you look back in the early parts of the season against like Virginia Tech and Indiana where that, that those games are right there for Tennessee, but they, for one, were missing shots and two, kept turning the ball over. And it wasn't just the defense making really good plays. It was unforced errors. That that to me is going to be the key for this one because I know, like you said, the, the record doesn't really, I think, signify how good St. Louis probably is now at this point. But the play balls just play their game and, and you know, don't have unforced errors. They, they should win this one. But I, again, they're going to St. Louis is going to steal the ball. That just, it is what it is. It seems like that's what St. Louis does a good job of is being a, a kind of a 
feisty defense that you know picks off passes and picks the pocket of of, of guards and stuff. Lay balls, that's, that's going to happen. You're going to, you know, you're going to turn the ball over. They just can't make bad decisions over and over again and have unforced errors. So that's kind of the the main, I guess, bugaboo of this team is turnovers. Otherwise, they've been pretty consistently very good. Again, rebounding has been phenomenal all year, defensively and offensively. I, I can't tell you how many times they've outscored the opponent on second chance points. Getting to the free throw line has been something they've done a lot better at recently too, and also shooting free throws. That that was something they struggled with early in the season. They've gotten better at that as the season's gone along, which has been nice to see. So overall, it's a team that has a lot of height. It's a team that when they play within themselves and know what you know and don't try to get too fast, too fast and too hectic, uh, they are capable of scoring 70, 80 points in a game. But the biggest issue is turnovers for them. And and again, if if the Billikens are able to force several of them. That's going to be how they're going to keep in this game. Are they, when they're looking to score, are they really just trying to score inside? I mean, they've got so much size. And and one of the things like Zach and I have, you know, harped on all year long, defensive rebounding is kind of a problem for SLU. You know, we've got a six, five big, who's mm-hmm. long, kind of a, you know, she, she's a great shot blocker. I think the nation's leading shot blocker. Mm-hmm. He races everything in the paint, but we don't really have a natural four alongside her a lot of the time. She's also very slender. You know, she can kind of get against a big front court. She can kind of get out bullied a little bit, you know, outworked on the, not necessarily outworked, but you can get to her on the glass. And I'm just kind of wondering if, if, if you can see Tennessee here trying to play a game where they just hammer it inside and try and rebound everything they miss. Yeah. She was the first person that I, when I was, scouting slew that that popped off to me because she's about averaging a double double and i saw the last couple years she Mm -hmm. did average a double double so i thought okay she's the one to keep an eye on because she's going to be matched up with likely jillian hollings shit over tennessee who's she's kind of she's kind of slender she's she's like you said kind of long as well she's six five so i mean i I feel like that's going to be a very interesting matchup to see but i I, you know what it seems like slew doesn't have is depth there at the in the front court where bloody balls do have that they have several different bodies they can put out there that are bigger players that can you know do different things offensively and you're right i think the thing this year they haven't been super perimeter oriented but the lady balls actually haven't been too bad at shooting threes they just like you said they definitely do try to run the offense through the post whether it's especially when tamari key was healthy that was definitely what they did uh she she was six six and one of the, the best shot blockers uh ever especially in, in ut history but uh without her even they still it runs a lot through the post not as much where you have kind of a traditional more looking offense where you dumb it down the post and have some post moves and drive it do that way now it's you have that but you also have a lot of slashing and cutting from rakia jackson and jordan horston that's that's going to be it's it's geared offensively in the post but it's going to also be a lot of drives to the bucket you're going to see so with the you know possibility of being able to dish it back out to somebody possibly open on the perimeter but yeah this is not a not a perimeter oriented team a team that doesn't shoot a lot of threes there's been multiple times this year where they've shot less than 10 threes in the game and still won by 10 15 points against you know against inferior opponents but there's been times this year where you know, they don't they don't need to shoot a bunch of threes because they've had the size advantage down low. And you saying that they you know that St. Louis has struggled with defensive rebounding does make me feel a little better because Lady Vols have been uh, phenomenal at offensive boards and second chance points this year. It's uh, well, let's kind of say this: it's ten minutes into the game. Mm-hmm. What is what is the the UT coaching staff? is completely just puckered 
what has happened in this game to the UT Lady Vols? And, you know, why is the coaching staff nervous? So what what how is SLU gonna beat you uh UT? It's gonna be because turnovers. Cause I, I also know I don't think SLU's that great of a three-point shooting team either. And that's been something that's kind of hurt Tennessee a little bit this year is when you've had a really good three-point shooting teams. It's gonna be turnovers. If St. Louis has been able to, you know, force a lot of them, or if the Lady Vols are also just turning it over themselves. That'll be why it'll be that, or for some reason you've had Rakia Jackson or Jordan Horston get into foul trouble and you've not been able to have both of them on the floor a whole lot together. It'll be one of those two things, or maybe a combination of those two things where you have some sort of early foul trouble to one of your two star players, or you're turning the ball over a lot, which again, that, that definitely can happen. It, it's actually been a while since the Lady Balls have played a game at this point. Um, the, I mean, they played the SEC tournament final, but that's been gosh, like almost two weeks and it'll be about two weeks since they have played when they play on Saturday. So it's been a while since they played. So I mean, maybe you're having some rust, you got to knock off um, when you first get in that game. And again, St. Louis, you know, anybody, any team that makes it to the NCAA tournament, is not a bad team at this point. So they're, you know, it's a good team. You've played a lot of teams that are NCAA tournament type teams all year. Um, so they've gotten plenty of practice with it. So I'll be, I'll be very interested to see how that first quarter and second quarter go because that'll tell me a lot about kind of the mentality, I guess, of both teams really. But I, I think you could see a slow start for the Lady Vols just because it's been a while and because they've already struggled plenty of times in their other games this year with turnovers and St. Louis likes to force a lot of turnovers as well. So that'll be why, uh, Zach, if 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 the, the coaching staff is frustrated after a quarter, quarter and a half, it'll be because Tennessee has turned the ball over way too much. Or, you know, if, if they, for some reason, aren't rebounding enough and rebounding with enough effort and St. Louis has been able to, you know, actually crash the boards better than you guys were, you know, I thought about they've been able to do for the most part of the season. That'll get Kelly Harper mad in a hurry. Uh, she Nothing makes her more angry than lack of effort on uh, the glass. So most of the time the team hasn't done that. They haven't had to get her wrath uh, this year a whole lot on that. But that'll be that'll be a quick way to to get her angry is to to be out efforted in a, in a game, especially on the offensive and defensive glass. You said Pissat is the player who was a five-star coming in, right? The six, four mm-hmm. kind of perimeter player. Um, I, I'm kind of curious because I, I see that. And I wonder here's, here's Tennessee, a true blue blood of the game, drawing a five-star recruit and she's only averaging two points a game. Mm-hmm. And do you think, I, I guess I'm curious, how has, the portal factored into, I mean, I guess if you want to make a larger comment on how it's affected the women's game, and if you think it's similar to the men's, um, but how has Tennessee utilized the portal? Cause I'm, I'm, I'm really, whenever I see a big time recruit who's kind of on the end of the end of the rotation, call it. Um, I think like, I don't know, that just feels like maybe not sustainable to me. Um, and, and the way Tennessee and UConn and those programs have been so successful historically is drawing in the best talent and retaining that talent. And if you're just cycling players, that's it's a lot harder to to sustain that high-level program. I, I, you're nodding along, so I think you agree with me on this, but I'm wondering if you think that's kind of been a challenge for Tennessee in recent years as they haven't been as dominant. I'd also add in the uh, the COVID bonus year too, and how that yeah, has that, sure. because it, you, know, you can have players for longer than two, and when you know, players who thought they were coming up aren't going to get their shot right away. Anyway, sorry, please. Sorry. No, you're right. I mean, this was, I, I used to host like my own podcast and talked about both the men's and women's basketball programs, UT and my host at the time. He and I had, you know, extensive conversations about the transfer portal and 
how it's affecting college basketball at large. I, I personally, overall, I think it's a positive thing being able the players to be able to transfer, you know, a one-time transfer rule and be able to do what they want to do like that and have more freedom than they have in years past. But you're right, like it does make it difficult on coaches. And to your your point, Pete, about Justine, it was interesting. She was the you know she was the only freshman that was brought in as a scholarship player in this class because the label was brought in for transfers from the transfer portal. And it's also been nice to see that you know. I think if she had to play, she would be, she would be, well, she would be playing more, but it, you know, she would have a bigger role, but this is the first time I think, especially under Kelly Harper, but really the first time in several years, the lay balls haven't had to play their star freshmen. Like immediately you have depth of a lot of juniors, several seniors and a, a really big sophomore class. Cause you had a really big freshman class last year that you brought in. So this is the first time in, in several years you haven't had to play freshmen in like starting roles or in very key bench positions this year so that's part of it is I, I just think this year from a depth perspective you just haven't had to play a freshman like you had in years past but you do make a good point of you see the five star who is you know not playing a lot of minutes and when she you know does get in there isn't, isn't scoring a ton because she's not in there for very long um it helps for the transfer portal if you're not just going and getting a bunch of one and done type of transfers like grad transfers or someone who's going to come here and maybe not produce and then leave you again after a season. You had a couple of those who are, are one and done's because they're grad transfers like Jazz Powell, um, who will be gone, I think, after this year. But you had Rakeem Jackson, who I think a lot of people thought was, you know, she was going to be a one and done because she was already a really good player at Mississippi State and right. came to Tennessee. And especially with the way this, the end of her season's gone, where she's been just electric, thinking, okay, well, she's probably gone. But no, she's coming back. So you actually do have her for two years, which, you know, does kind of help with the roster turnover and mitigate that some. There's also a thought possibly of Jordan Horston taking her COVID year and returning, which again would really help with the roster turnover and not having to worry about that next year, because that would be your two best players coming back. Tamari Key, she is cleared medically to play from her, you know, the blood clots and stuff has, have been medically cleared. So she's coming back for next year. So I think you, you kind of lucked into some of it this year with Tennessee, but I also do think it's, it speaks to the culture of, you know, what Kelly Harper and her staff has built there that, these types of players, a, a Rakia Jackson, who is a top five draft pick, wants to come back. And granted, I think that also can speak to the lack of money the WNBA has, but also how I think lucrative NIL is for women athletes in college. Because I think as big as it is for the men, there was a time, I think early in the NIL era, where women's college basketball, I think was like the number two or three sport in terms of, I know obviously football was way number one. But of the rest of them, I think women's basketball was, I think, the top of the rest of them besides football. So, you know, the NIL, I think, is is big in the women's game, especially. But I, I do think that it's going to be interesting because LSU was pretty heavy in the transfer portal this year. Uh, but like you said, teams like UConn and South Carolina, not as much. They They did go and get some players out of the transfer portal, but they weren't heavily built. I think it's... It's almost going to have to be a year by year basis because right now also Lady Vols don't have a, a a recruit currently committed to them in this class. So it's also been helpful to have Ricky Jackson tomorrow he come back because you're like, okay, well that that saves us from having to fill those roster spots with potential you know transfer portal options as well. So I think it's 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 great to have that option as you said, kind of a stopgag. But really the way you can mitigate some of that turnover is getting multi year transfer mm-hmm. portal players because Jillian Hollingshed is a multi year. She she played one year before coming in Tennessee. So she has three years of eligibility and she'll probably hopefully spend all those at Tennessee. So, you know, you would like to go and grab some of those players who've only been in college for a year or two. So you have them for two or three years, as opposed to going and grabbing someone who 
again, if they're a game changer, like Rikia Jackson was, you only expected to have her for one year, go get her for sure. But, you know, it, it will be, it just, it, I think we're entering a very interesting era of college sports where it's going to be harder to, I think, sustain. I don't know that there's going to be a, a dynasty type success in the future. Uh, I, I don't think it's going to happen. I think you're going to have just a lot more parity overall. And I don't think it's going to it's going to hurt the mid-majors quite as much as I think some people are anticipating because there are still a lot of mid-majors who had, you know, conference players of the years on their roster because they were players from bigger schools that transferred down a year right. or transferred down for you know, at least maybe just a year to you know go play somewhere else. I don't I don't think it's going to hurt the mid-majors maybe as much as people anticipated, but it's just I think there's overall both in the men's and women's game going to be a lot more parity overall. And I think it's going to be really hard to I think what's, what South Carolina is doing right now, they might end up being the last of the women's basketball programs to do this. I, I don't know yeah. that we'll see another Tennessee of the 90s or UConn of the 2000s. I, I don't know that we'll see, you know, winning back to back to back or winning, you know, five of seven titles. I, I think South Carolina might be the last program to do that because I think we're just entering a, a different era of basketball. Right. Nathaniel, I'm wondering, you know, where does the, the, the Tennessee Lady Vol fan, you know, the the average Lady Vol fan, what do they think of this game? Are they looking past it? Do they care? Is it all about the next round? And which, you know, I, I we take no offense, obviously, just curious. <laughs> No, I think you're right, because I think even on our show, we almost started to do that. And then we were like, well, let's wait. Let's look a little bit more into St. Louis and talk about them more. And realized, okay, they're better than what their record would indicate because of how they're playing now. And look at some of the players they have. And again, looking at, the, like I said, the steals, especially where they that matches up poorly with Tennessee, I think. But I, I think at large, I think a lot of people probably are overlooking St. Louis a little bit. But I do think also the Lady Ball fan base to me is – they're, I, I love the fan base. It is a very interesting fan base. They are very basketball knowledgeable. I think on the men's side of things for Tennessee, you have a lot of Tennessee football fans who also just kind of like basketball and kind of keep up with it a little bit more on a surface level. I think Lady Ball fans are a lot more kind of like the football fans in that they they like to dig deeper and they follow recruiting really adamantly. They they follow these the personalities of the players really adamantly. They're very enriched in the history of the program. So I think it's I don't I don't think it's nearly as many would be are overlooking you know slew as if it was like the men's side of things. I think a lot of Layball fans take them seriously and I think they really appreciate just women's basketball in general. So I think you'll probably find the average Layball fan probably knows more about uh, St. Louis basketball than you might expect, um, even just because they did the homework here in the last couple of days, but they still probably know more about it than you might expect them to. So I think by and large, there's probably a little bit of overlooking because I think people expect Tennessee is the you know superior team and, and should advance and it's in Knoxville and lay balls have been you know pretty strong in Thompson Bowling Arena this year. Um, so they probably are looking ahead more to the second round, but I don't, I don't think anyone's taking St. Louis for granted, especially with the way Lady Vols haven't had as much NCAA tournament success in the last few years. I think uh, fans, especially last year, you, you played a, a in-state team at Belmont that really gave Lady Vols a run for their money and about upset them uh, early on. So I think fans are probably have learned, okay, don't overlook any opponent because any opponent could take you down, especially once you get to tournament time. Yeah, I think certainly the 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 sports books are uh, thinking it's going to go the way of the Lady Vols. Yeah, uh, I never <laughs> thought I would have an opportunity to bet uh, on my St. Louis University women's basketball team. That's wild to me. Uh, but the line did open at twenty three and a half. 
Nathaniel, should Billiken fans are, are the Billikens covering or are the Vols gonna? gonna well, be and I know you you mentioned this was uh, you know earlier. In the I season. say yes. I'll I'll just give you my. Okay. I think a hundred percent. Like my first re- response was easy money. Thanks for coming. Like, but I'm cocky and stupid, so. <laughs> Well, I, I will say, like, I mean, 23 points is a lot to beat anybody by, unless it's like a really small school. And I think, like I said, lose an NCAA tournament team. It, it's hard to beat, unless you're a one seed, or if you're just South Carolina, it's hard to beat schools by 20, 20 plus points any, anyway. But I, I, I know you said this was, you know, both games were earlier in the year when SLU was not the way they are now. But I, I look at kind of, I guess, comparable teams that SLU has played, like a Baylor and Missouri and those deficits were what I think 38, 34 points or both or something like that in the forties and thirties. So like, I, I get Vegas putting it at the line they did. I think that's actually like, that almost might be a push. I think that's actually a really fair line. Um, I could see slew covering it, but also with it being in Knoxville and Thompson Bowling Green, I'm, I'm going to the game Saturday and I bought tickets and I bought tickets like just within seven, eight hours of when I'm going on sale and the lower bowl was already pretty like empty, like in terms of, tickets of ticket availability there wasn't a whole lot of ticket availability so you're, you're going to see a good solid eight nine maybe even ten thousand fans or maybe even more than that there for this game so uh, they're gonna it's gonna be a nice big home crowd for the lady balls in this one so i actually think 23 24 somewhere in that range is probably a pretty fair line i don't blame i mean i don't blame you for uh taking the cover on that one i just i'm not a big betting person so i and i would never ever in my life bet on a tennessee sport because i've, <laughs> I've no, heard too many I, horror stories from from people who have I, us as fans so but my, my gut says that's probably a, a pretty fair line I, I yeah i haven't i haven't bet on us since we were in the dark years of men's basketball in like 2015 we played ball state and i got got my ass handed to me Thanks I was like, I have, a, I have a, a bone to pick with the men's team because I was really hoping uh, Tennessee men's team would get Yuri Collins, and obviously that didn't happen. So, <laughs> oh, you were the I, asshole so spreading the rumor, weren't you? <laughs> I was wanting Yuri Collins, man. He, you could have really, had him, honestly. He's really good. The way we played without him, shit. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'll save that for another time. This is about the women's team. I won't go there. Um, yeah, that, I will that could say, be another uh, 45 yes, minutes. <laughs> I, I, dude, uh, we, Peter, how long did we go on a spaces that day? That he oh, it was like, it was like three hours. It was like, wow. we, I, and we had, a, I think over the course of that, we had, um, 1100 different people. It was, oh, it was over a thousand different wow. people pop in or listen to it later. Yep. Um, it was by far the biggest show we've ever done. And it uh, wasn't I, even an actual. It, it was recording. just I- impromptu. Yeah. Got on spaces and yeah. I was, I I probably should have been fired that day. Um, <laughs> I was anyway. I was like walking around the kitchen, like half doing spaces, trying to cook dinner for my kids. Yeah, it was nuts. Uh, uh, but I will say, um, if you are interested, I know you you are clearly a hoop head and a a women's hoop head at that. Uh, if you were are looking for a little more perspective on the Billiken women's program, it's actually a really great documentary out there. Um, it was made, I believe, 2007 to 2011, maybe uh, 12. And uh, it follows the Billikens under Shimmy Gray Miller. It's called The Gray Seasons, and it's free on Tubi right now. Um, and I think it might be on YouTube, honestly. Uh, but it is 
it is well worth a watch. Um, it, it'll give you great. I mean, this being our first appearance in the NCAA tournament, uh, where this program has come from in in the last ten years. But uh, Nathaniel, um, and I'll send you the link to it. But uh, yeah, Nathaniel, so if, you, if you found the YouTube, send me a link because I'd love to watch that. Yeah. Uh, thank you again for joining us. Thank you for taking the time and uh, uh, let people know where they can kind of keep up with you during the game. I'm sure you'll be tweeting and oh, yeah. and all that good stuff. Even even from there where the Wi-Fi is not as great in the arena, I'll still be tweeting from it. But yeah, if you want to follow me on Twitter, uh, like I said, just for this game, I don't know that a whole lot of St. Louis fans will want to keep up with me because I'm also a Cubs fan. So I don't know how many oh. <laughs> how many Cards fans are out there in the in the slew. You know community. what? There's probably it's probably 50-50 actually, Cardinal <laughs> Cub fans. We draw no. heavily from Chicago. No. Oh, Chicago. 50, sorry. 50, Chicago. Okay, sorry, sorry. I'm saying like the people that are the 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 number of Cardinal fans at SLU and the number of Cubs fans at SLU are not that far off. There's a ton of Chicago kids there, Pete. Uh, it's it feels like that. Yeah, you know, sure. every Chicago kid feels like 10 St. Louisans. Yeah. You know? That's right. That's right. But anyway, sorry. Go ahead and finish. I, <laughs> I was gonna say if you if you do want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at Mr. Underscore Rutherford. And the uh the show again, Southeastern 14 you can find them on Twitter as well. Southeastern 14, they cover as you might have guessed by the name. Uh, all 14 SEC teams in football, and now they're doing a lot more basketball coverage. I think they cover all the men's teams in basketball, but they're really starting to branch out now more into the women's side of things with Lady Vols. I think Missouri, they also have a, a women's uh, basketball show for that as well. So getting more into women's athletics over there, which is why I joined on because I, I again, talked about women's and men's basketball for UT for a while. Uh, I used to actually be in sports media full-time as my career, and I always am very appreciative of you know, branching out and getting more coverage for women's sports. So I was very excited to see that. Happy they reached out to me first when they said they're wanting to expand out to do uh, women's basketball coverage. I was like, I would absolutely love to come on there and talk Lady Vols. So they're Southeastern 14, and I am Mr. Underscore Rutherford on Twitter. Nathaniel, thanks again. And uh, we will uh, we will uh, talk to you after we win. So, you know. <laughs> Well, maybe. I, I think Lady Vols are going to win, but we'll, I'll yeah. talk to you all regardless. Thanks, it'll guys. Be, it'll, be a, it'll be a fun one. We're excited. Yeah, thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. Thanks. Good luck.